0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're going to start a new series I'm excited about. We're going to go through the book of 1 Peter. I do like to go through books of the Bible, and uh, 1 Peter is definitely going to be an interesting book. Um, And uh, that's where we're going to start this week. I've entitled my message, Scattered But Not Shaken, Scattered But Not Shaken. When you look at 1 Peter, you're reminded that as a follower of Jesus, this world is not our home. We're citizens of heaven, we're ambassadors for Christ, and so God wants us to live out our hope in this world so that others can see. I had run across a story about a pastor that received a letter from a man sharing how the Lord had changed his life by hearing this pastor preach on the radio. And here's what his letter said. He said, 18 years ago, the Lord blessed my wife and me with a child born with multiple birth defects. When he was born, the doctor came to me and said, don't hope he will not live out the day. I got on my knees and I say, God, I don't want, I don't know why you sent me this little boy with so many problems. Three and a half pounds, three months premature, only a portion of a left leg, malformed right hand, possible lung damage, etc. But please Don't take him back now. That evening when I came to the hospital, the doctor greeted me by saying, I just examined your son again. I don't believe it's the same boy. I think he's going to make it. My son stayed five weeks in that hospital. He came home, and then for years it was in and out of hospitals for one operation after another. Each time his little stump would grow, the bone would push through the tip of his stump and would have to be sawed off. Seeing the pain the boy went through, I thought I was going insane. He said, I cursed God and turned my back on him. I crawled into a bourbon bottle for 15 years, and the more I drank, the deeper I got. Sometimes, waking up hungover, I would be confronted with horrible things I had done that I didn't even remember doing. One morning, I woke with a broken right hand and discovered 22 holes in my wall that I had punched, and I didn't remember doing it. One Sunday morning, I laid in bed, reflecting on what a lousy husband and father I was, and decided. I would take matters into my own hands and ultimately take my life. The radio was on and you were speaking. I had never heard you before. You said that Jesus loved me. It had no impact on me whatsoever because I would heard it all before. But then you said these words, The Lord deals in futures. I don't know to this day why that phrase hit me like a ton of bricks, but it saved my life. I started crying and I said, God, if you deal in futures then take this wretched life and make something of it before I give it to the devil. And of course, God answered. And my boy, in the eighth grade, he was third on the East Coast in a math competition and received a certificate from our governor and a mini scholarship from John Hopkins University in Baltimore. In his freshman year of high school, he was the number one world geography student in the nation, and today he's a junior in high school and continues to astound us with his brilliance. My lovely wife stayed with me through all the stuff I put her through. And when I asked her why, she just said, the Lord deals in futures, and so do I. You know, the Lord does deal in futures. And if anybody could tell you that, it would be Peter. Because Peter was the one that uh, started out as Simon. And uh, yet God changed his name. The Lord changed his name to Peter, which means rock. And so today we're going to look at First Peter, and as we seek to understand the background of this letter in the Bible, the first thing I want you to notice is the story of the author, and that's Peter himself. In 1 Peter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, right out the gate, you know who wrote this letter, it's Peter, you know that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, he was one of the original 12 that answered a call to follow Jesus, and uh Peter is an amazing guy with an amazing story. Uh, Why do I know this? Because when we find Peter in the Bible, he's a fisherman. He is a fisherman. And his name is Simon, and he he has a brother named Andrew. And one day Jesus is teaching at the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd is gathering around Jesus, and he sits down in Simon's boat. And he says, hey, won't you put out a little bit? And he does, and he sits there, and he's teaching everybody on the shore. And so here is Jesus in Simon Peter's boat, teaching people the Word of God. And when Jesus finishes teaching, he tells Peter, won't you go out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch? Now here's Jesus. Uh, they call him Rabbi, um, and uh, he is a teacher, and he's worked with his hands. He's been a carpenter. He learned that trade from his dad, Joseph. And yet, uh, you know, here he is telling the fishermen how to fish. Imagine that. And uh, Peter is aware of that, but he says, Lord, you know, we've been, we've been fishing all night, but because, it's, you know, because you say so, we will. And so they put out their nets for a, a, a catch, and the results were they caught so many fish that the nets began to tear. They, uh, Simon and Andrew called to James and John to come and help them, And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, both boats are so full of fish they begin to sink. And it's at this moment that Simon falls at Jesus' knees and he says, Go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. That's the encounter we see when we meet Peter for the first time in the Bible and he comes to Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people, or as we say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so they brought their boats to the landing and they left everything and they followed him. Peter, Andrew, and uh, James and John. Four four guys. Four of the original twelve. Then you walk through the Gospels and you read the story uh, of Jesus and his ministry on earth and you get... Further along, and at one point, it's a pivotal point in his ministry, he's at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, he's talking about himself because he called himself the Son of Man. And he's saying, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And he waits for their response, and they tell him all the things they've heard. And then he looks at them and plainly says, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter was the one that said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that's when Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So he changed his name from Simon to Peter. Peter means rock. It shows a change in Peter's life, uh, a change of character, because God is making him into a new person, a new man. And then as you go on um, and look at the rest of uh, Peter's accomplishments as a result of following Jesus, you know, he left everything to follow Jesus, he was a witness of Jesus' resurrection. He saw all the miracles. He heard Jesus' teaching. He saw Jesus uh, transfigured on the mountain. He was one of three, Peter, James, and John, that saw that experience. And, of course, every time the 12 apostles are mentioned, Peter is always mentioned first. Why? Because he was the leader of the pack. And that's the kind of guy that we're reading from here when we study the, the letter of First Peter. But then it gets better. Because now you look and go, wow, what an amazing guy. What a great story. Look at what God did in his life. But then there becomes this this pivotal moment in Peter's life that we all remember him for. In Luke 22, Jesus said in verse 31, Simon, Simon. You know, anytime the Lord has to repeat your name, it's never good, right? Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, "I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death." And Jesus said, "I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me." And if you know the rest of Peter's story, um, Jesus or uh, Peter, excuse me, used violence to protect Jesus when the mob came to arrest him. He even took out his sword and cut off a guy's ear. And Jesus told Peter to put away the sword. And then uh, Peter and the disciples ran away when they took Jesus. And they were scattered because they had taken their shepherd. And then Peter went on to do exactly what Jesus warned him about. He denied knowing Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And then after the resurrection, when you think that Peter's a total failure one of the first people that Jesus appears to is Peter. And Jesus restored Peter by asking him on the shore there of the water while eating breakfast, he asked them, he asked him not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, do you love me? And um, that was a powerful moment in in Peter's life, someone once said that um, if you go back to the night that that Peter denied Jesus, he was uh, gathered around a charcoal fire, and it was dark, and a, and a girl recognized him. Isn't he one of them? Isn't he from Galilee? No, I don't know the man. And all this went down around a charcoal fire, and if you look, you'll find that when Jesus is on the shore and they come to see him, there's a charcoal fire, and he's recreating the scene, and he says, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Lord, you know I do. And Jesus restores Peter. And then the amazing thing, after Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, then 10 days later, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter is boldly preaching the good news about Jesus. And I mean, he's just full of boldness, telling everyone about Jesus Christ and what he's done. What an amazing story from an amazing guy. You see, Peter had been scattered once, and he was overwhelmed by the devil, and now he wants to prepare his readers for this same experience. He wants to strengthen his brothers. Matter of fact, he warns us later in his letter, 1 Peter 4, 12, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. You know, when you and I end up going through a trial, it usually catches us off guard, unaware. We're like, what's going on? And it catches us unaware, sometimes even unprepared. And Peter is saying, don't be surprised when you go through a fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised when you're being tested Because Peter can relate. One day, he's like, Jesus, I'll follow you everywhere. I'll go to prison with you. I'll even die with you. And Jesus has to say, Peter, if you only knew. The devil's, you know, wanting to sift you like wheat. Later at the end of his letter in chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter warns us again, be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Looking for anyone he can devour, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. In other words, don't be surprised if you're going through some hard times or you're going through some suffering. He says, Believers all over the world have gone through different experiences. And he says, don't be surprised at this. And he wants to encourage them. He wants to strengthen them. That's the story of the author of this letter, Peter. But let's look at the situation of the recipients. Go back again to 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, there's some scholarly debate on who he's talking to. Personally, my opinion, I believe he's talking to Jewish believers in Jesus. Uh, he is writing to the exiles that are dispersed abroad. Anywhere else in the Bible, we know exactly who that would be. That would be the Jewish people that had been dispersed on not one but two different occasions uh, in the Old Testament. And here is Peter who is known as what? The apostle to the Jews. And yet also he was the one that God used to take the gospel to the Gentiles. If you remember Acts 10 when he went to Cornelius' house. And so uh, even though he is writing to Jewish believers that are scattered in places that are outside of Israel, I do believe that as you read his letter there's allusions to Gentile references, so it's very possible that he's writing to Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus. But he addresses the Jewish believers first, and I think that's proper when you look at what Paul did. He always went to the Jew first, and then the Gentile. And how much more so would Peter, who is a Jew and the apostle to the Jews, do as well? Matter of fact, James, and we some of us studied this in Sunday school this morning in James one. Verse 1, James assert of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. There you go. And again, both of these letters are side by side each other in the New Testament. So I believe he is writing to Jewish believers in Jesus. I love what uh, Warren Wiersbe says. He says, the important thing for us to know about these scattered strangers is that they were going through a time of suffering and persecution At least 15 times in this letter, Peter refers to suffering, and he uses eight different Greek words to do so. I'm not going to go through those words, but just so you know, suffering is a major theme in this short letter of five chapters. Obviously, Peter is wanting to encourage, he's wanting to strengthen God's people that are scattered, but he doesn't want them to be shaken. He wants them to be standing in God's grace. Wiersbe goes on to say, we've noted that the theme of suffering runs throughout the letter, but also so does the theme of glory. One of the encouragements that Peter gives suffering saints is the assurance that their suffering will one day be transformed into glory. And this is possible only because the Savior suffered for us and entered into His glory. But suffering doesn't automatically bring glory to God and blessing to God's people Some believers have fainted and fallen in times of trial and they've brought shame to the name of Christ. So it's only when we depend on God's grace that you and I can glorify God in a time of suffering. If you jump to the end again, uh, 1 Peter 5, look at verse 12. Peter says, Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God stand firm in it. So he wants us to stand in God's grace in order to get through all the stuff that you and I are going through. So we've looked at the story of the author in Peter's life. We've looked at the situation of the recipients and how they are exiles that are dispersed abroad in these different provinces of Asia Minor. And then let's look at the subject of the greeting. When we look at the subject of the greeting, Again, go back to verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. What I want you to see here is his greeting helps us remind ourselves of this great salvation that you and I have because of Jesus Christ. He uses the word that we're not expecting Peter, a fisherman, to use. He uses foreknowledge, and I'm like, what? Foreknowledge? You know, this particular word in its noun form is only found twice in the New Testament, and guess what? Both times Peter uses it. It's here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 2. And it's also found in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. That is his uh, sermon on the day of Pentecost where he says, though Jesus was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, there it is, foreknowledge, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Foreknowledge, to know beforehand. It's where we get our word prognosis. You go to the doctor, and you've been diagnosed with a certain disease or a certain problem, then comes the prognosis. You know, what can we expect from from this point forward? What can we expect? God has foreknowledge. Notice that is attributed to the Father. And then the Holy Spirit does a sanctifying work. And then, of course, the blood being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Um, I want to focus on this. The Trinity is at work in our salvation. Notice the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father had a plan. The Son purchased my salvation with His own blood, and the Holy Spirit performed that work in my heart when I believed. And that is true. Uh, some people want to talk about the plan of salvation, and they want to give you their five points, and they want to go through all that stuff. I'm more about the man of salvation, okay? It's what Jesus Christ has done. Uh God knew when He created the world and He created man that if He left them alone, they would mess it up. And so He had a plan to save the world by sending His Son. So the Father had a plan. Jesus came and He purchased our salvation by shedding His blood on the cross. And the Holy Spirit performs that new birth in you and me when we hear the gospel and believe And that is the great salvation that you and I have. That salvation changed Peter's life. That salvation's changed my life. And you know what? That great salvation can change your life too. I like the way it's put in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 through 6. Paul was talking to the church at Thessalonica. And here's what he said. He said, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. You hear that word chosen, you're like, what does that mean? How do I know if God has chosen me? He says, we know that uh, that you are loved by God and He's chosen you because, in verse 5, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. We know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. You know, what makes a person um, say yes to to Christ? They hear the gospel, and some hear it, and you remember the the parable of the sower that Jesus told. Some people hear it, and the enemy, the devil, immediately snatches away. There's There's no fruit. There's no evidence. Some, some hear it and they immediately receive it with joy, but there is no root. And because there is no th- root, uh, they very quickly fall away. There are some that hear the Word of God and uh, it takes root and everything looks promising, but then the cares of this world and the desire for riches and other things, they choke the Word and it becomes unfruitful. But for those that hear the Word of God and they believe it and obey it, It produces a harvest of righteousness. It produces fruit, some 30, 60, 100 fold. And so here you have some some in Thessalonica. They heard the word of God and it wasn't just word only. It wasn't just a, a good sermon and walk out the door and nothing's changed. But the Holy Spirit took that word of God in their heart and brought conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as a result, they said yes to Jesus Christ. And even in spite... Of persecution, they welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter wants his readers to know that they might be scattered, but they're not shaken. They are standing in the grace of God. And so today, as I wrap up this message, only two verses, but as I wrap up this message, I've got one burning question for you. Are you standing in the grace of God? Are you standing in the grace of God? I mean, when you look at the life of Peter and how God changed him, when you look at all these people that have been scattered abroad and yet they were believers in Jesus Christ, they weren't scattered, or they were scattered, but they weren't shaken. Because of the great salvation that we have, because we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that have done a, a work in our life, we now are standing in the grace of God. I want to go to the end of Peter's letter again. In 1 Peter 5, verse 10, he says, The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while, says a guy like Peter who blew it and thought that was the end. I've blown it. I've failed big time. How do I come back from this? And what did the Lord do? He restored him. He established him. He strengthened him. He supported him after he had suffered a little while. And Peter says to them that God will do the same thing to you. It's a prayer. He says, to him be dominion forever, amen. And then in verse 12, he says, through Silvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you. This letter is meant to encourage us and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. You know, you might feel like you're scattered. You might go, why am I going through what I'm going through? Uh, Why am I suffering so? Why am I encountering problems that I don't know how to deal with? And all you got to do is go back to the rock of our faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. Go back to the grace of God and what he's done in your life. Look at how the grace of God has changed others. And let it be an encouragement and a reminder to you and I that the grace of God can change us. And we need to stand in that grace of God. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was... Uh, Blind, but now I see. And we need to remind ourselves of that grace and stand in it. I want to share one more verse with you. And this is from Paul. Uh, Peter and Paul both were colleagues, both loved the Lord, both followed Christ, both apostles. And here is what Paul said to the Roman believers in chapter 5. He says, Since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access to Through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. See, Paul is talking about standing in grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so, again, you and I can stand in God's grace because we now have Christ in our lives. We have the the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and now we are new creatures in Christ. And so now, as God's people, we can stand in His grace knowing I've got God's grace to get me through the things I'm going through. And one of these days, because of His grace, I will be with Him in glory. And that is enough when you're scattered to keep you from being shaken. And so today I want to encourage you and ask you, are you standing in God's grace? Have you ever firmly planted your foot and said, I believe that Jesus died on that cross for me? I believe that God loves me. I believe He sent Jesus to die on that cross for me. And I, I feel the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I know that I need to get right with God and I want to give my life to Jesus right now. I encourage you right now. You may have sung Amazing Grace all your life and it felt like you were singing somebody else's song. But when you come to Jesus Christ and receive Him by faith, that becomes your song. That becomes your salvation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And it's my prayer today that that will be your song as well. Let's all stand. Musicians, if you would come. We're going to have a time of invitation. And it's my prayer today that God will speak to you right where you are. Lord, we come before you right now. Thank you for this time to come together to worship you and to be in your word. Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart. Father, I pray right now, God, there might be someone here that's heard this all before and they've never, never, never put their trust and faith in you. And Father, I pray right now would be the time that this gospel would be preached not just in word, but in power with conviction from the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that they would simply declare their dependence on you turn from their life of sin and put their faith and trust in you. Father, we pray that you would have your will and way in each and every person. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.